Good morning, everyone. Well, first of all, I just want to bring you greetings from Living Word Church. You guys remember Living Word? A couple of you? Vaguely? Distant memory? Well, just to say, uh, well, of course, you just hello and just to communicate to you guys um, how much me personally and for us as a church, we really love you guys and we're proud of what you're doing and as you're growing, as you're reaching out to people, uh, this is exactly the heart behind the vision and you guys are doing great with it. And so keep it up. Praise God. We're proud of you. And so don't forget about your friends across the border. And uh, we pray for you guys often in our prayer meetings. It's very common for Mercy Hill to come up or pray for Johnny and his family or um, just different things that are going on here. So um, when you guys celebrate and rejoice, it's our victory as well. And so we praise God for that. I also got a a few text messages from the girls and the guy, from Annette and uh, Valerie and Elizabeth and Larry and Haiti. You remember them? Yes. And so um, they keep asking us to pray for them. And uh, they had a good productive week. The need down there is enormous. And they're asking for God's guidance this this coming week. It'll be their last week. And so I wonder before we actually move into the word, if somebody is willing to stand up and pray on our behalf for them. Someone do that? Great. Thanks. Thanks, Mary. And thanks, Dan. Will you do it too? Attaboy. Mary can go first. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Thanks, Mary. And uh, keep it up. Let's keep them in prayer until they return safely to us, okay? Very good. Well, this morning I'm going to continue on with the series you're doing in Ephesians. So if you'll turn in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll be starting at verse 11. And um, isn't it great just to draw near to God? Yeah, it really is. And I, I trust that as, as we gather as churches, as you, guys, as, as you gather as a church, that these are precious times to draw near to God. They're not meant to be exclusionary. You should also draw near to God uh, in your times alone when you're driving down the road or when you're having a quiet time and reading God's Word. But it's God's will for you to draw near to Him. You know that. He wants you to draw near. That's the point. It's the purpose of the Gospel. And as Johnny really did a tremendous job as I listened to his message from last week, um, he communicated very well Paul's heart in verses 1-10 through 10, that that. God had called us out of the world, out of darkness, out of death, out of sin, out of the prison of our own sin. And so John did a great job with that. And God did that not through our own works, not through our effort, but by His own grace, so that none of us would boast. It's a gift from God that we can be set free and drawn from darkness and the sin and the death described in the first half of this chapter. The second half of this chapter, what I'm going to take today, is talking about what God has drawn us into. Because God has not taken us just out of sin. He's not just set us free from sin to kind of figure out what to do next. But He has called us into citizenship in heaven. He's called us into relationship with one another. And He's called us into family. And so it's quite powerful in this next half of the chapter that uh, we're going to see what God has worked us into, called us into. Uh, Before I go too much into that, I just want to talk a little bit about remembering. How many people have a good memory? No one raises their hand on that. Some of you have... Tom did. Thank you, Tom. If you have something you need to remember, just ask Tom to call you when it's due. How many, seriously, do you, many of you think you have a really bad memory? How many people have a bad memory? Yeah, okay. Like names, that's why we do this, right? Thank you very much. Uh, birthdays, anniversaries, those are important things to remember. 
But some of us remember different things. Some are good at remembering details, right? They just have a mind for details. They'll remember a little-known fact from 50 years ago that they read once somewhere in passing, and it'll just get clicked. And other people remember faces or feelings or different events, different things. And so we all remember a bit differently. But Paul, as we begin to launch into this half of the chapter, he's going to challenge us to remember. And remembering is very important. It's powerful. You look at even horrific, tragic events in the history of humanity. They say it's important to remember those things. If you go to remember.org, it's a, it's a website to remember the Holocaust and just the wretched, horrible things that have been done in the exterminating of all those people. Remember, it's important that we don't lose those memories. They're very powerful. I even think of 9-11. We're to remember the men and women that ran up into that building, aren't we? Not to forget their heroicism. And you look at Memorial Day or Fourth of July, and these things are set in place so that we would remember those who have sacrificed so much in the past for our liberty and our freedom today. And so we're supposed to, we need to remember certain things because it means something. And it shapes the way we think and it shapes the way we live. Because our tendency, our tendency is to just forget and to kind of feel entitled to what we have. To feel as if we somehow deserve what we have now instead of remembering that someone sacrificed so much for us. And that's our tendency to be self-assured and to be selfish. And so it's important that we remember. When God brought His people out of Egypt, He told them to pile stones up. Why? So they'd remember, so that when their kids saw that big, strange pile of stones, they could tell them the story of how God delivered them out of Egypt. So that we'd remember. And in this chapter, Paul says, remember. I have certain memories, some of them good and some of them bad. I have a great memory of my grandpa, my grandpa Isinga. When, uh, when I was growing up, we lived up this way, and they lived in Mountain Home, Arkansas, and so we'd only go down to see them a couple times a year. And um, I remember at one time I was down there to visit him, and I had this idea I wanted to wash his car. I was probably 12, 13, 14 years old, and I thought, I just want to wash my grandpa's car. I don't even know if it needed washing, but I just thought it would be nice to do so I took, went to my grandpa and said, Grandpa, I'd like to wash your car. And he's like, okay, sure. Let me back it out of the carport. The carport's just kind of an open garage. It had a roof but no sides, kind of attached to the house. And it was a two-car carport. And in the middle of the, the you know, two-car area, there was a post, like a support beam. And I said, no, no, Grandpa, I'll get it out of there. I've thought it through. I know how to do it. Just let me have your keys. So I said, okay. And so I took his keys and I, I went in his car. It was, it was a brown Chevy Citation. You remember those? quality vehicle. And I stuck my key, so I stuck my key and I turned it so it would release the transmission. I popped that thing in neutral and I had the driver's door open and I was pushing it out of the carport. And I was feeling good about myself because I was a young man pushing an entire car. And I was pushing this car and it was starting to roll and it, it, it got to the part where it started rolling down and I didn't anticipate that with the door open and that post there, there was going to be a problem. You see the picture? So I'm going to go, all of a sudden, boom, it stops abruptly as the door catches on that pole and it kind of just hyperextends and bends the joint way out of place. So I, just, I can still remember that sinking, horrible feeling. Like, oh, no! Why didn't I see that coming? 
So I ran into my grandpa. I said, Grandpa, I'm so sorry. And my, I was ashamed. I was embarrassed, a little bit afraid. I'm like, Grandpa, I'm so sorry. I, I got a problem. You got to come quick. I got to help. I wrecked the car. So he comes out, and there he sees the, his citation, that classic automobile, half out the carport with the door just wrapped around that pole. And I'll never forget how he said, go on, get in the other side, Dave. And he got in his side and he started the car and he pulled it forward and he pulled the door. The door wouldn't close, of course, because they just bent the metal and the joint to bits. And, and so he's holding it and he, he backs it out and he says, let's go. And without telling anyone, without telling my mom or my dad or making me feel ashamed or making me feel stupid, because I already felt plenty ashamed and plenty stupid, he drove that car to, the, to, to, his, ga- to his gas station around the corner. And I remember him talking to the gas station guy. And I remember out of the corner of my eye, seeing him slip him like 20 bucks. So that he'd go get a crowbar and kind of bend that thing back in the, in the place. Not so it would be perfect, but just so it would shut. And he says, don't worry about it, Dave. We'll take care of it. And we got home. And he never mentioned it to my mom or my dad. I'm sure my grandma figured it out eventually. And I never heard about it again. And when I think of my grandpa, who's long gone now, I think of the grace that he gave me. How, how he could have made me feel stupid. How he could have... And I'd heard stories about my grandpa years ago when he was younger. How he'd drink and have a short temper and holler and get angry. And, and how he dealt with me so tenderly and so graciously. It's become for me a dominant memory of my grandparents. And there's, I have a lot of memory. But what I really remember is that day he showed me grace. And I love my grandpa, even if he didn't do that. But it causes me to savor that relationship. I'm just so grateful I had a grandpa like that. And I have his cane. When he died, my grandma said I could take whatever stuff he wanted. And I, I, I took his cane and I have it sitting in the corner of my room. And it reminds me, not just of my grandpa, but of grace. What grace looks like. Remembering is important. So we have to remember rightly. We have a tendency to be kind of revisionary in our remembering, if you know what I mean. We'll remember something and we'll always try to put ourselves in the best light in, in that memory. And we'll warp the event in our mind so that we don't look as bad as we maybe should. It's the natural tendency of people to kind of want to define things and interpret things that puts them in the best light. And we do that with our memories as well. We do that with our memories. Let's take a look at what Paul says in Ephesians 2 here, 11 through 22. And how he encourages us to remember. But not just remember what we were, but what Christ has done. Verse 11. Therefore, he says, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done by the... In the in the body, by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God. He was saying, remember that you were once hopeless. Isn't that encouraging? Yeah, turn to the person next to you and just say, hey, remember... You were once hopeless. Yeah, seriously. Some of you have been wanting to say that for a long time. 
Get that off your chest. Now, those of you that said, remember, you're, you're hopeless, man. You're hopeless. That's not what the scripture says. It doesn't say you're hopeless. It says you were once hopeless. You were once excluded. All right, verse 14. Nope, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Amen? Hallelujah? Praise the Lord. For he himself, who is he? The Lord Jesus. He himself, who is he? Is our peace. Who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier. The dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two. Thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them, Jews and Gentiles, to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus, with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these words to us. We know they're words written so many years ago, God. But they weren't just written to the Ephesians. They were written to us today. God, that you might pour them into our heart. And our hearts, God, might be set free to live and operate as you desire us to live and operate. God, that our minds might be transformed from worldly thinking into godly thinking. And that, God, our lives might overflow with worship and praise and it be a demonstration of the greatness of King Jesus. And that's our desire, God. So as we've gone through your word, we pray that your word would go through us. We pray this in your name. Amen. You know, it's great as he, um, he ends by talking about this temple that, that Jew and Gentile being brought together in one man might become a temple where God's spirit lives. Because earlier, here up in verse 11 and 12, Paul is referring to to the separation between Jew and Gentile. Now, this is a very cultural, powerful thing back in that day, but there is separation in our world as well. And so as you listen to it, consider not just historically what it meant, but what it means to us today. And the Jews, when they were, when they, they, as they were God's chosen people, they had built this temple in Jerusalem, and it was a mighty, beautiful structure. And it was built off the ground, elevated a bit, and... On that elevation, there were three courts in it. One court was the court of the priests, where the priests would worship. One court, just to the east, was the court of men, where the men would go and the presence of God would be there as they worshipped. And the next court was the court of women. And so the women would have their own court. It was probably a lot neater than the court of the men and the priests. 
But then the court of the Gentiles was in a different place. As a matter of fact, you had to go down a flight of steps. And then there was a landing with a, with a large wall kind of overlooking what was below. And then you have to go down 14 more steps. And there at the bottom of those steps was this huge wall. A dividing wall. And archaeology shows us that it was five feet wide. It was a thick, impenetrable wall. And so the Gentile, the court of the Gentiles was outside of that wall. And the Gentiles could look up into the, to the temple. They could see where the presence of God was. But they themselves could not participate. They were left out. They were excluded. There was the chosen people, which was God's people. And there was the unchosen. And it was a wrong concept because all throughout Scripture we see, even the promise given to Abraham, was that through Abraham and through God's people, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And that God's people were to be a mouthpiece proclaiming the promises and the covenants and the goodness and the love of God to the whole world. And yet the Jews decided instead to circle the wagons and they actually despised the Gentiles. I read somewhere that the Jews really thought that the Gentiles were simply existed to be fuel for the fires of hell. Their attitude towards them was so wretched. You remember back in um, the days of King David, when uh, he was only a shepherd boy and he fought the giant Goliath. Remember that story? Well, Goliath would get out in front of the armies of God and he'd spew all these vile things about the armies of God and he would humiliate them and he would be hostile towards them and he would insult them. And he, everyone was terrified of Goliath. His size, his power, and his vile hostility towards them. People were intimidated. And when David walks up with his cheese and his bread, bringing his lunch to his brothers, he hears these vile insults of Goliath. And what does he say? Who is going to shut this uncircumcised Philistine out? Now, that's not a very bad. Uncircumcised Philistine, who cares if he's circumcised, right? Big deal. It's kind of a personal issue. But for David and for the Hebrews, that was a massive insult. He didn't say, who's going to shut this son of a gun up? Or who's going to shut this blah, blah, blah? You can use strong language, right? His language was, who is going to shut this uncircumcised Philistine up? And so this idea where it says, there are those who are the uncircumcised, and then by those who are the circumcised, that was a huge dividing wall. It was a curse. It was an insulting. He was like, your mama, Goliath. He was cutting them deep, you know? And that was the mindset, even here. And the Apostle Paul is addressing this. He said, man, there are biological differences. Born Gentile, born Jew. There's cultural differences, circumcised, uncircumcised. You know, sadly, sadly, in, for us as humans, our tendency is to have conflict with one another. Not with the people we like or the people that are nice to us or do nice things to us. But in our world, massive conflict exists. Not, of course, to Mercy Hill or 
um, the beloved living word or cross point. We all work in perfect harmony. Isn't that right? Never a harsh moment. But even in the church, we get superiority complexes. Our church is better. And here's why. They're fine. I'm sure they're saved. They're not completely unchosen. They're just quasi-chosen. But we are the white-hot chosen ones. We got what's going on. And these attitudes arise. And these are walls that we build up, these walls of arrogance and these attitudes. On a broader scale, I mean, international conflict abounds. People are killing each other, fighting. The hostility is enormous in our world. We all dress up nice and sit next to our spouses at church, but even within marriage, these attitudes build up. And it's shocking how someone who we love so much can make us so angry, furious on the inside. And we may never verbalize it, or you may, but in our heart, the accusations fly. Why wouldn't you? The hostility in our world has not gone away. And left to ourselves, it continues. Because we have this way of making ourselves always seem at least mostly right. And Paul is addressing this. He's saying, to the hostility in our world between men and men and men and women and women and women, on the horizontal level, He's saying something has happened that can tear down that dividing wall of hostility. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus came not only to reconcile us to God, but to reconcile us with one another. God came so that grace might not only be poured out in our lives, in our relationship with our Creator, but that grace would be poured out in our lives with one another. What is the greatest commandment? What is it? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And which is the second, which is just like it? It's to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we often tend to think that the redemption of God in Christ Jesus on the cross was to simply make us right with God. It was not only for that. It was to make us right with one another. And there is no pure and acceptable worship that goes up to God that does not include that. You cannot say, I love you, God, and I hate you, my brother. First John says that. How can you say that? How can you say you love God who you can't see? And say, I hate my brother who's right there in front of you. It's unacceptable in the eyes of God. And it is not the gospel that we see in the scriptures. And of course, the Gentiles were also spiritually separated from God. And there is the lineage separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship with Israel, foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God. Listen, there is no hope in our biology, Jew or Gentile. There is no hope in the work of the hands of man or in our culture, circumcised or uncircumcised. Our hope exists solely and exclusively on the work of Jesus Christ. Verse 14 says, For He is our peace. He doesn't just make peace. He doesn't just offer peace. Jesus Himself is the peace we seek. 
And so this first section is this. Remember. Remember what you once were. Well, you may say, I've never seen the temple in Jerusalem. I've never held a sign up like they had a sign up outside of that wall. You know what the sign said? They excavated and they found it. One of the signs in 1871. This is what the sign said. I skipped past it, but it's kind of interesting. Yeah, outside of this thick wall, there was a sign written in both Greek and in Latin, so everyone would see it. It said this, that no foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosed an enclosure around this temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. That's a pretty exclusive club. Could you imagine hanging a sign like that? Not only violators will be prosecuted, violators will be executed. Anyways, he said, remember that you were once far off, without hope and without God. Why is it important to remember that? Because until we remember and and live in the, the fullness of our need, we will never savor and live in the fullness of our redemption. And so he says, remember. Jesus, the peacemaker. I love it how they use spatial. It was not uncommon for, for Jewish people to talk in terms of spatial relations in, with God. And we, we use it ourselves as well. I mean, we know that God's invisible and we know that, that He's omnipresent, He's everywhere. And yet we talk in terms of God, I'm far away from God. Or I'm near to God. This was a common way that even the, the Hebrew people related to God. And there are prophecies from the Old Testament that talk about that those who are far and those who are near would be brought into God's presence. And this idea of the nearness of God. Isn't it wonderful that God is near? Even when we don't feel like He's near. He's near beyond our senses. See, we can't always sense Him. We're very limited in that. As a matter of fact, our senses are so unreliable that we need to really walk by God's Word and by faith rather than by sight. And so this idea of the nearness of God is a powerful, powerful concept. And let me just, one of my favorite verses in Philippians 4, it says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. That was not a very rejoicing rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. There you go. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Well, because the Lord is near, well, then we don't need to be anxious about anything, do we? Then we can let our gentleness be evident to all. Well, then our rejoicing can be great because the Lord is near. He's not far away. Look at Acts 17. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth. This is Paul preaching to Gentiles, of course. And does not live in temples built by hands. And he does not, is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man He made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And He determined the times set for them in the exact places where they should live. And God did this so that men might seek Him and perhaps reach out to Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. The Gospel teaches the nearness of God. He is not far from you. He is not far from your your situation of conflict with someone else, horizontally, another person. He is not far from you in your relationship with Him. He isn't far. He's near. He's accessible. Not because of our good works, not because we deserve it. He's near and He's accessible because of the cross. 
That's the doorway to nearness with God. And so not only does he say, remember what we were, he says, savor what Christ has done. Savor it. That we could now be near to God. And in that nearness, there's a whole new reality. Theologians call it a whole new society of people. A whole new humanity, which never existed before. But that God himself would adopt us into his family. That God himself would would say to you that you're a citizen of heaven. He would say to you that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. I love the language at the end. It says, In Him the whole building is joined together to be a holy temple. This joining together is such an important part of the gospel. I was, um, I was talking with a friend this week and he was telling me a story. And I've known this man for a long time and I've, I've known him and his family when they were in an unbelievable conflict. And you just thought, how is this even going to exist? And anyways, one night when there was conflict at its, at its height, um, the police were called and because of domestic disturbance and problems in the home, fighting between him and his wife. Police came in, came in the door, arrested him, handcuffed him, walked him out of his house in handcuffs, and took him to prison. Well, this man never forgot the policeman who did that to him. As a matter of fact, later, a couple years later, when his teenage son was driving around with a bunch of friends in his car, this officer pulled over his son. And I'm sure his son, the kids were goofing around, and who knows what was going on there. I certainly don't. But the policeman gave his son a real hard time. Real hard time. And so this man, although even now through the years, the gospel has transformed his heart, reconciled him to his wife, and God is doing incredible things in his life. This anger and bitterness and hostility in his heart towards this policeman, towards this cop who would walk into his house, handcuff him in front of all his family and walk him out the door to the police station. This cop who would harass his son, and in his estimation, unwarranted. He just, you can imagine the bitterness and the feelings you'd have towards a person like that. Well, he came into my office because this week he got a call from someone to do a bid. He pours concrete and, and so he got a call to go to a house and do a bid. And so he did. And after he got done with the bid, the homeowner said, hey, there's a guy down the street who would also like a bid. And so he went down there and he gave that person a bid. And then that person, when he got done, hey, this is a great price. You know what? My neighbor's actually quite interested in this work, too. I suggest you go over there and give them a bid. Anyway, so three referrals later, he walks up to what ends up to be the last house in that area that he's going to do a bid on. And wouldn't you know it, it's the house of this policeman. And all these years, these intense feelings of hatred and bitterness have welled up in his heart towards this guy. Even though the redemption of God has happened in his life and he's growing and all the rest. Anyways, so he's doing his best to be polite. His first instinct was just to get back in his truck and get out of there. I don't want any part of this guy. But he went up there and he, he knew who the cop was and the cop knew who he was. And he measured out the things and he was real polite. It was fine, you know, he didn't do anything crazy. And he went back into his truck and he was feeling all this bitterness, all this hatred towards the man. 
And he said, Dave, I can't explain it. I'm trying to write out on my little clipboard the bid prices. And suddenly, my truck is filled with the presence of God. And this intense, overwhelming peace fills my car, this truck. He says, and I just began to weep. I began to cry. And I'm trying to fill this out. I can't see the words on the chart. And drops of tears are falling onto the paper. And I'm being overwhelmed by peace. And he said, I, I just sat there and I wept and I regained my composure and I finished the bid and tried to give him as good a price as I could. He said, I walked out of my truck absolutely free of the bitterness and the anger that I had against this cop. He said, I walked up there with a new sense of just the joy and the love of Jesus in my heart. He says, and I handed him the bid and I looked him in the eye and I said, thank you. Thank you for letting me come and bid on your project. I really hope I can come and work for you. And he got in his truck and he drove away. And he was free. Free. From the dividing wall of hostility. God wants us to be free. And Christian worship cannot exist. It cannot exist without our love for our brothers and our sisters. Many people think, I'm just going to do my own religious thing. I'm only going to do my own spiritual thing. To hell with everyone else. And in God's eyes, that doesn't work. Our worship to Him must be connected with our love for our brothers and our sisters. Because He says, as we come together as one body, that's where the Spirit of the Lord dwells. Psalm 133 says, how great it is when we dwell together in unity. That's where God commands the blessing. John prayed, or Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And so the call of this section of Scripture is to remember that we were once hopeless. It's to savor the work of Jesus on the cross that tore down the dividing wall between each other and God and then to proceed as worshipers loving one another and loving God. So much so that Jesus even says in Matthew chapter 5, He says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, if you are trying to worship God, And there, while trying to worship God, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Our relationships with God are connected with our relationships with one another. And praise be to God that we can be champions of reconciliation because Jesus is our peace and He has torn down the dividing wall of hostility. Between us and between us and God. Amen? All right, let's take a minute. I want to close in prayer. Brian's going to lead us in communion. But as I do this, this is a word that needs to be absorbed and responded to. And so I trust that the Holy Spirit has been working as the word's been being preached in your own life, in your own heart, that you may need to be set free from bitterness or hostility or an accusation that you have against your brother or your sister. And quite frankly, it doesn't even matter if they're wrong. And you're right. 
Chances are, our own humanity and our sin, we share in the blame. Don't try to develop it. Don't try to create peace on your own. Don't just ask for it from God. But it's Jesus Himself who is our peace. And so we go to Him and we humble ourselves and we repent. And it's from Him in that place that we can go forward in humility and forgive one another. So let's just take a minute and then I'll close in prayer and Brian will lead us in communion. Lord Jesus, I just say, I say thank you. God, thank you that while we were far off, God, you came and you drew us near. Not through our own righteousness or our works that we might boast and be somehow proud of that, but God, that it was all you're doing. And that God, we might savor what you have done in bringing us near to Christ. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for new life. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, it's our heart this morning, God, that we might offer you pure and beautiful worship. It's acceptable to you. And so, God, we don't even want to try to do that, God, if there is the infection of bitterness in our hearts towards our brothers, towards our enemy. God, we not only want to be free of of, of bitterness, we want to be free of the disposition to be bitter. God, we want to be those who, who walk in the fullness of grace, nearly impossible to offend, Because Jesus is our peace. And so God, I pray, Lord, if there's someone here today, God, that these words really cut to the heart. And they say, Lord, I need to to come to you now. And Lord, just tear down the, the wall I've built, the hostility I've nurtured. Holy Spirit, that you would come near to them. And in their repentance, God, you'd set them free. You'd set them free from that sin. Set them free from that illusion that they can demand their own rights. And let the peace of Jesus come. God, we love you. I thank you for this wonderful church. These wonderful people. And I do pray that your blessing is here. Amen.